0: I'm one of the self-described governance geeks within our association community. (laughs) I absolutely adore governance, not the process side of governance, but the human side of governance. And the reason I say that executive directors and CEOs need to have governance as a superpower is because governance is human first. A governance structure is going to represent culture, of the organization. It's going to represent the mental mind map of the members, meaning how do they think, how do they operate in their day-to-day jobs. Our volunteer leaders, they don't come to us thinking like we do in terms of governance and running an association. So we have to educate them.
1: This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure, and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story, and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Sharon Kneebone, Executive Director of the American Academy of Pain Medicine, or AAPM. Sharon, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You've had so many great people. I feel honored to be included.
1: Well, you're terrific. And the association community is a small one, and you sound very well connected. So thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Hey, Sharon, tell us about AAPM.
0: AAPM is the American Academy of Pain Medicine and As association executives, I find it's really important to work for an organization that you can get behind. And I can really get behind the American Academy of Pain Medicine. The Academy is a multidisciplinary organization and they cater and educate around pain medicine. So let's just call out the elephant in the room. The organization in the past went through the opioid crisis, our organization was not implicated, but It did impact us. And then we had COVID. So there's more to pain medicine than just prescribing medicine. There are interventional therapies for acute pain, for chronic pain. There's a psychological aspect of it. We welcome all different types of practitioners, what we call advanced practitioners, psychologists, medical doctors, doctors of osteopathy. But it really takes a village to help heal people with pain and help them to function. It's the number
1: one reason why people miss work. Sharon, let me ask you a question. So when I go to the doctor, he says, oh, you've got the flu, here's medicine. Do doctors study pain and learn how to treat pain, or do they learn how to treat the disease that causes the pain? Is that a dumb question?
0: No, it's not a dumb question. I'm still fairly new in this position, but as I was reading through some of our development Paperwork. One of the things that I see is there's not always a separate discipline or subdiscipline that is taught in pain medicine. So that's why we're so important. We are trying to educate not just pain medicine doctors who may be an anesthesiologist by trade, but they're in the subspecialty of pain management, we need to educate emergency care physicians. What if you show up at the emergency room in acute pain? How do we treat that? We also need to help educate primary care physicians so that they can recognize pain and how do they either treat or how do they
1: send their patients to the appropriate practitioner to get relief. So Sharon, you said that there are different kinds of pain. What does that mean? Oh gosh,
0: I'm a lay person, (laughs) so let's just put that out there. This is not considered to be medical advice. I think about myself personally with acute pain. So let's say, or even my son, let's use my son as an example. He was at work. He had a catastrophic accident where he cut off the fingertips of his fingers. That would be considered acute pain, right? They had to take care of it. The nerve pain in there, there was a separate medication that his doctors prescribed him to help with the nerve pain after they reattached the fingertips. Then there is chronic pain. It's something that you live with. I'll use now, I'll use myself as an example where I have a torn medial meniscus on my left knee. When it first happened, it was painful for quite some time. Went to see my orthopedic. He said, you can either have surgery or you can do physical therapy. I chose physical therapy. So as you can see, very different path in taking physical therapy as the means to take care of the pain from my torn meniscus. But then there's also mental anguish that goes along with it. When we were preparing for this earlier, I shared the story of my mother who was a liver transplant recipient, breast cancer survivor, and some jaw cancer survivors. She always used to brag about how she never took any Novocaine for when she had her dental work done. Well, some of that is pain tolerance, but a big part of that for my mother was the psychological aspect of it. Nobody had a stronger will to live than my mother, and that translated in a will to do what she needed to do to get through any of her medical procedures. So there's psychological aspects of it. There's acute pain, a broken bone. There is chronic pain where maybe you have an old injury in your back. That you're going to have to manage over the long term and there are a cadre of professionals that will come together to help you manage that pain through different modalities medicine intervention psychological help therapy etc
1: and that's why you're multidisciplinary because you don't always manage pain through a pill that is absolutely correct well, Sharon, before we get into the things that AAPM is doing to thrive, and it sounds like you all are doing well, let's talk about your journey. How did you become ED of AAPM?
0: Well, my journey to become an executive director, like most of us, I came in at an oblique angle. My fundraising chair out of my first for my first job out of college, I was the special events coordinator for the Maryland Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund, owned an association management company. So Fast forward quite a few years, I ran into him at something for the Vietnam Vets, and he was looking for someone to come work in his association management company. My kids were now getting into first and second grade. I was ready to go back to work in an office with a more set schedule. And so I started my career as an executive director.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got thrown in the deep end without a life preserver and funny story I will share another time. But my first event, needless to say, the food didn't show up. But because of my background in the restaurant industry, I found someone who got stuff over there right away. So we fixed it. Nice. Problem solving. That's what we do. So I stayed there and I learned the business. The owner supported us going to Institute for Organizational Management. And when it was time to grow, I went to the parent organization of one of the chapters and regions that I ran, the Appraisal Institute, and I started their chapter relations department and was there for a couple of years. And then did some governance work, so another lateral move to expand my skill set. Then I went to physical therapy where I ran their in-house association management services. So that was interesting because it was a combination of chapter management as well as running an association management company within a bigger organization. And then I got recruited to the Institute of Food Technologists where I was the membership director, but there was a heavy focus on restructuring governance for chapters. And I took that position, again, to expand skill set laterally because the ultimate goal was to become a standalone executive director. I knew that that's where I wanted to be, not necessarily in an association management company setting. So I stayed there for about seven and a half years. I went to another organization for a short stint that didn't work out. And here I am at the American Academy of Pain Medicine, where I am helping them transition They left an association management company a couple of years ago, and they've gone through some transitions, and I was brought on board to help create some infrastructure. So my unique background of having worked in an AMC, having worked as an executive director for in-house managed services, and then a standalone really set me up to help them start to put order together. And so that's how I ended up here with these wonderful members. They are some of the kindest people I have worked with in my career.
1: Wow. So Sharon, it sounds like you started out as an ED and then decided I really need to kind of expand your breadth of experience. So you took all these different jobs and you've been ED or standalone ED for several organizations, and now you're at AAPM. So, you know, you mentioned governance several times, and I'm always (laughs) fascinated at how often governance shows up in these interviews. And you said something really interesting to me. You said that every executive director or CEO of an association, has to have a governance superpower. What do you mean by that? I'm one of the self-described governance
0: geeks within (laughs) our association community. (laughs) I absolutely adore governance, not the process side of governance, but the human side of governance. And the reason I say that executive directors and CEOs need to have governance as a superpower is because governance is human first. A governance structure is going to represent culture of the organization. It's going to represent the mental mind map of the members, meaning how do they think, how do they operate in their day-to-day jobs? Our volunteer leaders, they don't come to us thinking like we do in terms of governance and running an association. I've heard that from your other executive directors that you've had on your podcast. So we have to educate them. We have to understand that these are human beings and they came to leadership through a system that is in place. Maybe that system served them very well. When you start thinking about the stratified governance of other organizations, you'll see chapters, regions, nationals. Why did that structure exist? Well, we didn't have instantaneous communication and it was designed to disseminate information.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Well, maybe that structure is no longer serving you well. Knowing that you need to maybe make a change. There are people who are in leadership now where that system served them well to come to power and influence or to do good or serve the greater good of the order, as we like to say. So we have to use what I call the three E's, and that is evaluation, education, and empathy. I love to help my leaders become educated about governance and the places where I've done that. These are smart people. They're in leadership roles. They're usually at the top of their game within their profession. We need to provide them the tools to have relevant conversations around governance and scenario planning. So whatever the future is going to hold, what is the structure that's going to get us there? And that's where the executive director must use finesse and empathy and people skills to help them Discover what is the best structure for them. I never like to tell them this is the way to do it. What I do like to do is say, here are the tools, here are considered effective practices, these are why we have effective practices, and then bring people in to help guide them through that conversation, knowing that we as executive directors are also human and we're bringing our own bias to the conversation, which is why we usually need an outside facilitator so that we don't try to shape the outcome too much. Because we are who we are.
1: Interesting. And an outside facilitator can also bring different models for you to consider because your landscape is changing. Exactly. I find that the leaders will ask questions
0: well, what do other organizations do? Mm. How do they do it? While you don't want to base your decisions on other organizations, you want to know that you're not too far out in left field in what you're thinking. Is this reasonable? And having And outside facilitators say, well, this is what I've seen in this field. This is what I've seen in that field. And it provides comfort and information to the leaders to
1: really make good
0: decisions.
1: Wow. Hey, let's talk about AAPM. How's membership?
0: I mentioned earlier the opioid crisis and COVID. And when AAPM went through those two catastrophic events, we did see membership drop. However, I've been looking at their membership numbers and we are back in growth mode. So that's really exciting. We're seeing an uptick of resident and fellow memberships, but we're also seeing new members. So the renewal rates are high. We're, we're in high 80s to 90s in terms of our renewal rates, but we're seeing growth in new members. So when I'm looking at that, I'm looking at paid memberships, not just the subsidized memberships, which we're doing for the residents and fellows who just don't make money. Right. We wanna get them in. (laughs) We wanna work with them and keep them. So I'm really happy to see that we're growing. And as long as we continue to provide value in a multidisciplinary field, I think we're going to continue to grow.
1: So AAPM is a medical, professional society, and you've got your standard annual conference, you've got your journal, you've got your CME courses, but you're doing some interesting things that are really contributing to your growth. So one of them is you're doing something interesting with MIT, the university. So tell us about that.
0: Yes. So last year we had our first ever innovation challenge, and we are working directly with MIT's Hacking Medicine. And what we're doing is the goal is to create this ecosystem where we are bringing together industry, not just pharmaceutical, but medical instrumentation, different providers who are doing things that are truly unique to pitch to a
1: panel of experts. So hang on, they're pitching to a panel of experts to get funding? to get a prize. Oh, to get a prize, okay. They're basically gaining access to their target market ah. and
0: brain trust. So they are going to get a year's worth of mentoring and consulting through our leaders. And then on top of that, there is a podcast called Aches and Pains, and they have, I think, 300,000 subscribers. Wow. Half of which are patients, the other half are clinicians and they're gonna get featured there. So they're getting that exposure and they're also getting the cachet of winning a Shark Tank style innovation challenge where they're pitching and MIT, I mean, everybody knows MIT in the United States and hacking medicine, I mean, that gives you just the title alone with what they're doing, really creates this image of healthcare is this behemoth in the United States. And we all know that it's not working as well as we would like. But how do you fix it? So, that imagery of hacking medicine and the innovation challenge within an ecosystem is powerful. So, they're pitching and they're going to get a prize. They're going to pitch to a panel of judges. And then we also bring in the clinicians, which I just talked about as the access. And then the next stage that we're working on now is bringing in the payers. So, now you have the whole ecosystem. We have an iterative process that we're going to be working through that's going to include mentoring. Right now, it's being offered in conjunction with our annual meeting. Last year was proof of concept. This is our second year. We got over 45 submissions. Wow! We purposefully shortened the window for submissions because it's a lot to go through. So out of 45, we accepted only eight. And we're being sponsored by Abbott and Saluda Medical this year for the challenge. So they're helping us to offset some of the costs for technology to produce the event. But this is really cool. And they say imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. We're already seeing other organizations starting to pick up this particular process. But we're lucky that we have this partnership with MIT Hacking Medicine.
1: Wow. So what you're doing with this is you're elevating the profession and you're really spurring innovation in the field.
0: Yes, we want to accelerate innovation in pain medicine, and at that core of that Venn diagram that is really right in our bullseye is the patient. We want to make things better for the patient and patient care.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, let's talk about some other things that you're doing. So in 2019, you made some big changes to your governance, including who could be a member, and this was a massive change to your governance. So talk to us about that.
0: Right. So this is prior to my arrival, and I hope I stated it correctly, but what we did is we updated our bylaws and membership categories to accept non-medical doctors. This is a multidisciplinary organization. So in our field, we have psychologists, we have nurse practitioners, we have medical doctors. But non-physicians couldn't
1: be members before.
0: We do have clinical affiliate members. We have non-clinical affiliate members, but in terms of full active members, we expanded it beyond an MD to a PhD. And quite frankly, the organization is committed to being a multidisciplinary organization. So at some point in the near future, they're going to plan to have some conversations about membership and what does that look like. We had an initial meeting a couple weeks ago. And once we get past the annual meeting, we're going to start looking at a plan on how do we codify that? What does that look like? It's a really high level strategic discussion because at the core, you know this, at the core of every association, the only thing we truly own is our members. Right, right. It's our members that make us great. It is our members that provide their knowledge. It is our members that provide their time to lead the organization. And it's your members who give you identity and strength? Absolutely. We are nothing without our members. And our current leaders, Dr. Coyote Williams, believes very strongly in servant leadership. And when he talks about servant leadership, what he is saying is, what do we do that is best for the organization. This is not a zero-sum situation or a zero-sum game. It is what is going to be best for everybody. And that is really the ethos that they're trying to put in place for AAPM. And that will be part of, as you said, that bigger strategic discussion about membership and what does that look like in three years, in five years as an organization.
1: So in 2019, the changes that allowed the organization to have non-physicians and maybe have psychologists and people in neuroscience, that was the start of expanding who could be an active member. And now you've got chiropractors and nurses. I mean, anybody involved in pain medicine is what it sounds like.
0: Yeah, and they would be clinical affiliate members at this point in time. Like you said, nurse practitioners. We have a chiropractor who wanted to join just today. There are psychologists. So it's really interesting And heartening to see the other providers within this ecosystem of pain medicine want to become part of AAPM and part of what we're trying to do as a multidisciplinary organization.
1: I'm actually seeing this with some of my other clients. Becoming multidisciplinary is challenging because you have to reach out to other disciplines, and sometimes there's a competition for which association is your home. Nevertheless, we see lots of people really have memberships in multiple associations because they see the benefits of really learning from other fields. Right. So, wow, good luck with that. Now, you're also doing some interesting things with your residents and your fellows. Yes. Tell us about that. And that's where, like, you know, these are your future members and your future leaders. So, our immediate past president, Dr. Michael
0: Houghton, put together a scholars program. Pain medicine is a subspecialty, not a specialty under the AMA, which means that not every school may teach a pain medicine specialty rotation. So we are putting together a scholars program where we invite fellows, or in May, we're going to be inviting residents who've been placed into their fellowship. And we're going to provide them a program that includes some didactic training because we want them to not just understand procedures. We want them to understand the theory and the why behind what they're doing. And then there's going to be hands-on training with a cadaver lab. My first week on the job, I was fortunate that we did one of these at Johns Hopkins. I'm located outside of Baltimore, and I got to go to my first cadaver lab, the first week on the job fun fun it was amazing you know neuromodulation they were using pork bellies to do stitching explaining why to do it how to do it so not only were they practicing the procedures in a cadaver lab at the Johns Hopkins Hospital School of Medicine they were getting the training of the why behind it so we had one of our presenters was actually a psychologist and the reason for that is to understand the behavioral profiles behind what modalities, what interventions are best for maybe acute pain or chronic pain. So the idea then is that these scholars are then invited to our annual meeting. And some of our former scholars are now serving on the steering committee who are starting to document the didactic training and getting the program manual together so that we can continue to pass the baton on to the next leaders but the intent is to continue to mentor them Ah. and help them grow within their career. We were talking a little bit earlier about Matrix and how you want to do journey mapping. Well, that's what we're starting to do is what is the career map for a pain medicine doctor who may be an anesthesiologist by trade, but they want to focus on pain medicine, which is more than anesthesiology. What does that journey look like? What are the things that they need to do to be successful to tick off in their career to get promoted as a doctor? Or or we're focused on doctors right now because that's our first program with the scholars, but it really is about bringing them up through AAPM as a pain medicine physician.
1: So you're giving them training to be able to do a good job. You're also creating opportunities for them to really advance in their careers. And you're saying that pain medicine is your home. So very clever of you.
0: (laughs) You should hear my three presidents talk. They are amazing. They talk about this ecosystem and this ethos, and they're very focused on culture and what that means to create a home, literally the word that they use, to create this home where they belong and where they thrive and where they grow their career because they have become an active member of the American Academy of Pain Medicine.
1: And then it becomes something that they'll never leave. Correct. Because it's their home, it's where they get their education, it's where they find their identity, it's where they find their community. Correct. Wow, Sharon, it sounds like AAPM has an amazing year ahead of it. I hope you'll come back because you're having these amazing strategic conversations about who can be a member and what benefits do they have. So come back in the future and tell us about the governance progress that you're making.
0: We'll be happy to do
1: that. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I wanna hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye!